If you are caring for a person with autism, great information from a trusted source can be a lifeline. We hope today's conversation will help you create success for the extraordinary individual with autism in your life. Now, here is your host, Rob Haupt. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Autism Talk. Uh, I'm your host, Rob Haupt. I am Vice President of Partnerships over at Autism Spectrum Therapies. Uh, we're an organization that provides ABA services to individuals with autism and related disorders across the country. Uh, I, myself, am a BCBA board-certified behavior analyst, and uh, that, that really just means I'm an ABA guy. And so, you know, that's just the way I see the world, the way I, that I view treatment. And uh, you guys who have who have heard the show before kind of know all of this. Yeah, you know, I tend to break things down and look at things in that very behavior analytic logical way, which which I think really goes a long way, especially when we're talking about therapy and treatment for kids with autism. Um, you know, I've been I've been traveling a lot lately, and I've been in a few different communities, talking to a few different groups of people, um, particularly spending a lot of time in Arizona. And it's been really interesting. I've, I've gotten a chance to sit down with probably three different parents, all of whom are really active in the community, really active um, in terms of raising awareness, in terms of providing resources. And um, they all also have uh, another thing in common in that all of them have children on the spectrum, all of whom are either in their teens or early 20s. And, you know, the thing we have really bonded over in me sharing with them some of my past experiences working um, with young adults is the the way that ABA needs to change. And we've been spending a lot of time thinking about, you know, how does ABA need to change, not in its science, because the science is right on, but in terms of how it's applied as a child gets older. And, you know, they were expressing to me that, you know, there's there's times when they were seeing the the delivery just not evolve or, or develop as the child is developing or aging. And, you know, we talked a lot about some of the great programs out there, um, particularly talked quite a bit about University of Rutgers um, and their amazing program, uh, Peter Gerhardt, who is just, always just provide great insight, discussion, and, and research into how to provide ABA um, and how we should deliver ABA, particularly for older learners. And you know, it really got down to this core concept of we need to make sure things are more functional, things are more practical. Uh, you know, we don't want to just isolate this therapy, this treatment into DTT, at a table, drill, drill, drill. And we need to really think about applying the science. And it was really, um, it was surprising but exciting that certain things like self-management hadn't really been discussed very often. And, and actually how often I had to describe what self-management was. Um, and to me, that just becomes like a critical centerpiece of ABA when working with a, a teenager or, or a young adult um, because it's all about in increasing independence, decreasing reliance on the adult, and really teaching the learner to be more self-aware, self-reliant. Um, and so as we got into these conversations, it was really this great eye-opening experience to just be reminded of, you know, 
what kind of awareness do we need to present? What kind of openness do we need to present? But more importantly, how do we get it there? Um, and you know, our topic today is on a kind of a different subject um, in that we're, we're really not talking about you know older learners or teenagers or young adults, but you know, in talking about technology, there's so much about how do we get resources, information, access to services potentially to different people in different places. And really think about, um, you know, now that we are kind of this, you know, we keep saying it's like a, a globalized market. You hear this on movies and, and business conversations. Oh, it's a globalized market. It's a globalized world. Well, that's redundant, but, uh, you know, the globalization of everything because we're all at the fingertips with, to one another with the Internet, social media, websites, um, the, the fact that, you know, I can make a phone call to anyone anywhere just through my computer and we can get to one another a lot easier. So just kind of a, I don't know, another side of, of things as we get into uh to this next part of our conversation with our guest. So today we're joined by Christopher J. Smith. Uh, Christopher is the Vice President and Director of Research at the Southwest Autism Resource and Research Center, um, is an experiment psychologist with expertise in the diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder and measurement of associated traits. Uh, before joining SARC, uh, Dr. Smith was an assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry at Mount Sinai School of Medicine and still maintains a f faculty position. His background is in phenotyping complex psychiatric disorders for the purposes of genetic studies. Under the direction of Dr. Smith, Sark's research team focuses on improving the early detection of autism spectrum disorder and expediting accurate diagnostic methods, advancing research on effective treatment for autism, both pharmaceutical and behavioral that led to an improved quality of life for individuals with the disorder and their families, as well as educating all kinds of professionals in the community to improve detection, diagnosis, and services for individuals with autism. Christopher, welcome to the show. Thank you. That was a nice introduction. Um, yeah, well, I mean, you're an impressive guy, so it's easier to do a, <laughs> a cool intro for you. Um, all right, great. It, I mean, I was actually really, uh, you know, even reading your bio and kind of getting ready for the show, I, you know, I actually think your background is kind of an interesting one because, you know, as I was thinking about, you know, our show and technology and, um, you know, mm -hmm. and being familiar with Sark and the research being done there, when it caught my eye, uh, your background at, uh, at Mount Sinai School because, you know, I don't always think, at least when I think of technology, um, Mm -hmm. Psychiatry isn't where I I automatically go, so I think it's kind of a cool background that you get to bring mm -hmm. to the table with some of the work you're doing. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, we didn't really do much with technology when I was at Mount Sinai, but what we did do was make these fine-tuned measurements of all different components related to complex psychiatric disorders. So, uh -huh. cognitive measurements, adaptive behavior skills, um, executive functioning assessments. Um, all different sorts of, uh, of executive functioning assessments, and the the whole uh, the whole type of work that we were doing back then was kind of breaking down um, these really complex disorders into the smallest behavioral units um, that we could measure. Um, mm -hmm. So it wasn't ever really measurement of the full disorder, but more measurement of the individual components of a disorder. Um, and when you break it down to small pieces. 
um, it becomes simpler to, to measure, um, and mm-hmm. you just have to keep in mind and keep it in perspective what it is that you're what you're doing, right? And what the uh, and be careful not to overstate it. But um, it's through doing stuff like that is how you could see that technology can really assist in the simpler measurements of these smaller components of more complex constructs. So, like, so, like, what do you mean by that? Like, I, I, you know, as I told you, kind of as we were warming up, I, I am. So such mm-hmm. like the novice when it comes to technology. I mean, my wife makes fun of me because I do I do a little bit of social media for AST, but like in my personal life, I don't do a ton of it. Um, I do, mm-hmm. you know, I have like a phone that gets like, I can get directions on it. So I got turn by turn and I use Google Chrome to get to ESPN.com while I'm waiting for my wife to like go to the bathroom or grab a drink from the bar when we're out to dinner. Like that's the extent of me and like my real technology. Mm-hmm. So what do you mean by that of, you know, now you've got this technology that can get um, to give us better measurements in these small details? So, I mean, well, if you think about how it pertains to um, to autism, and we can talk uh-huh. more broadly, too, but, um, yeah. you, you know, you're not necessarily trying to say, uh, okay, let's do something magical with technology where this person with autism is going to be classified or, uh, or have all of their deficits identified um, through technology. Um, that's not what we what we did at all with the NOTA project, which I think we're going to talk about in a little bit. But yeah, this definitely. is it's when when you break it down into smaller units, then you can see um, how you can collect information. Uh, mm-hmm. When you're talking about one single piece of information, um, it's it's easier to address that. Um, either really in person or use technology to get that same type of information um, to the people that need it uh, to expedite any kind of service, right? So, mm-hmm. for well, for example, so while you, you, the way that uh, many uh, measurements are taken in research is, you know, you have a psychologist that sits across the table and uh, who's trained to administer this particular test. Uh, that might have a switching component, right? And people mm-hmm. that are familiar with these kinds of tests will know exactly what I'm talking about. But um, and you're sitting there and you're asking this person to do, to read the, to ignore the color of the font, but read the word. Um, and, you, you know, the, uh, the person's doing it and the psychologist is timing it and recording information, recording errors. And you think, wow, you know, timing, recording errors, recording this, that can all be done with a computer. I mean, the computer, can, the person can be sitting in front of a computer and doing this stuff. So now all of a sudden now the computer is being used to replace um, a trained um, expert to administer that kind of test because it's collecting really the same information. Now, that, mm-hmm. that's only one example, um, but certainly not all examples um, of using technology in this area and none of the stuff that we're working on, um, the, 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 te- the technology can't replace the, um, the expert, but mm-hmm. uh, what it can do is facilitate getting the information to the expert um, in a more expeditious way. Yeah, I... I... You know, and this may tie directly into NOTA because, you know, I look at technology in a few different ways, um, or at least from my world, because being an, uh, a BCBA and being an ABA person, you know, that the concept of breaking things down into those small pieces or individual, mm-hmm. you know, I want this one piece. Like, obviously, that that makes perfect sense. And 
Um, and I, I think about it as how does this apply to, you know, I'm a parent, I'm out there, I, I have the needs of, you know, me as an individual, I have the needs of my child, I have the needs of my family, and how do I get these supports and resources? And I know so much of what you're doing is in the, the diagnostic piece, which is critical. And I guess I mm-hmm. wonder, like, you know, whether it be through NOTA or whether it be through some other things, um, I keep hearing about, especially, you know, as I do work more and more work in Arizona, um, in, in kind of your backyard, like, I keep hearing about there's families in remote areas of Arizona. They don't have access to a, a psychologist. They don't have access to um, the evaluation they need. Maybe it's for the initial diagnosis. Right. Maybe it's for ongoing diagnosis. Maybe it's even from a, a medical professional, like a developmental ped or something. Um, how, you know, is there, I, I got to assume that, you know, you and I are, I'm on Skype right now. You're calling into an, an online radio show. We've all got better video conferencing now than ever before. Does this open up the door for that type of professional um, guidance where it's not like ABA where I have to see a BCBA all the time or their staff every day? Um, it is more of like a couple of appointments. Like, can we get those resources um, and make those connections for those types of families in, in remote areas. Yeah, uh, for sure. Actually, that's um, how we how we came about the NOTA project. Mm-hmm. Uh, was actually a little bit backwards. We were using the uh, the same technology uh, to provide support to families that lived in remote regions. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was a few years ago. Uh, Danny opened and, and I. Um, applied for a grant to the Organization for Autism Research to um, uh, for a project to um, have parents come to SARC for a week-long intensive parent training uh, program, mm-hmm. and then they would go home um, and they would implement everything that they learned. Um, and the conventional model was once a month they send a video in, um, mm-hmm. and the interventionist watches it and gives them some feedback through a phone call, and they would do that for a couple of months. Um, but we thought, well, you know, technology has come such a long way since then, and we can we can Skype and we can do things uh, over the internet and maybe provide more focused feedback, um, more immediate feedback, um, and really kind of guide parents to develop their skills. So uh, in that project, that's what we exactly what we did. We we found this uh, technology company called Behavior Imaging Solutions, and they mm-hmm. had. Um, uh, you know, an online platform where parents could upload videos to that platform and, and interventionists could watch it and provide feedback. And we had them, uh, uh, families do that on a weekly basis in this research project. And so, so, and it was really neat because they could, the family would upload the video and mm-hmm. instead of just kind of watching it and, and taking notes and then reporting all the notes back to the family, the interventionist could pause the video at something that they thought was relevant and enter uh, a comment to the parent at that time. Say, wow, you know, you took a great end of this really great opportunity for communication. Good job here. Next time, maybe you want to hold it back a little bit longer and see if he can give you some more language or some mm-hmm. sort of meaningful feedback to the parent at that time. Um, and it was working very well. And as we were watching these videos, and particularly on the younger kids, um, you know, I, I'm more, I'm not a BCBA, but I'm more of a diagnostician. 
Yeah. And I would be doing these diagnostic evaluations all the time. And I would, was seeing all of these same behaviors, just that the kid was just exhibiting naturally, um, that we would attempt to um, observe in the clinical environment. And there was so much more uh, effort put into arranging that clinical environment and bringing them in and scheduling and making sure people had time that it just seemed like, wow, we could just cut off all this time if we could get families to upload these videos at home and let's just see what we see. So that's, mm-hmm. we said we could, we could collect diagnostic information through this method rather than, um, uh, in addition to, I should say, supporting parents as they implement intervention. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the technology is there, and, um, and it just seems that the autism community is so ripe uh, for this kind of use for technology because there's so many people with autism that live all over the place. Um, all over remote regions, rural regions, inner city regions, more concentrated regions, around universities, not around universities. Um, and there's just not enough um, people to provide intervention and diagnosis mm-hmm. uh, to all of the, the growing number of people that need support. So it just seems like technology is the perfect answer to really reach more people uh, than we can do without it. You know, I'm before we jump into NOTA, you mentioned that the research and the, the, I guess, the behavioral health, behavioral treatment side of it, that kind of led to mm-hmm. NOTA. Um, I'm kind of curious, um, mm-hmm. how critical, you know, you, you mentioned they came in for a week and then they, they mm-hmm. went back home and this was the way of the ongoing communication. How critical was that week that they came in for? And is there, you know, because I hear people talk about, well, let's just do this remote consultation or let's do this remote supervision. Um, and mm-hmm. I, people seem to have a lot of opinions about how often that should work or how it should be set up, whether it be live or using like a program like Behavior Imaging Solution. But I don't always hear people talk about like what that critical, is there a critical face-to-face time? So was that, I'm assuming that's a 40-hour training week. Like how critical was that to the process? To the process that we did, which was to train people to implement, uh, train people to fidelity to implement a particular kind of intervention in the home, um, it was it was critical. I mean, they came Mm -hmm. in, um, and baseline measures of fidelity were, of course, very low and not even near um, near the threshold that we needed to say that somebody can implement with fidelity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in five days, and it was it wasn't 40 hours. It was uh, it was 25 hours, so five hours okay. a day uh, for the most part. And um, and at the by the end of that week, they uh, almost every family uh, reached fidelity of implementation according to our standards um, in that project. But you know, so so that was a really critical component, right? We needed yeah. to make sure that the individual, that the parent, had all the skills that they needed to go home and continue to implement. Uh, but the reason why we emphasize the need for support, and it would be impractical to have the family come back once a month for a week-long parenting. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're not really saving anybody any time at that point. But um, but if you think about it, I mean, you know, you do intervention so you could see a development of new skills um, in, the, in the child, right? So, I mean, if the parent yeah. is going home and implementing what they learned um, in a month's time and the child's a good responder, in a month's time they're dealing with a very different child than they were when they received the training on, on, uh, on intervention in the first place. So we wanted to make sure that we were providing this continuous support of their skills 
But um, we did not measure, and I think that's a really interesting study. And other people, like I think Brooke Ingersoll at uh, Michigan State, um, might have done this kind of work where she compared in-person parent training to remote-based parent training, uh, utilizing technology to, to train parents to do that. And I think that that's a really important study because if we can do that kind of work, um, then we can reach a whole lot more parents without that limiting factor. So right. to answer your question, I mean, uh, yes, in our project, them coming in for the week-long intensive parent training was a really critical component, um, but it was also a very rate-limiting component um, and right. will continue to be until we can learn to do that more effectively through remote technology. And that, you know, that's the thing, as I see, at least in my in the service delivery side, it almost seems like I see more and more types of programs being offered where, you know, it's 100% remote. It's 100% online using great technology mm-hmm. and great equipment. And, you know, again, I can't tell if it's me being a little too old school where, um, you know, I remember the days of having, you know, we, I would put tape on my, my jeans and you would have like a, I'd have a marker and I would do tally marks on my jeans because so when I didn't have a clipboard um, on mm-hmm. my side, maybe we're doing community or whatever, or maybe you're in like a job setting, you'd have, I'd just have that little patch to do quick tally marks. You know, now we would do all that on the smartphone. You wouldn't have to worry about any of that. Mm-hmm. I, I come from a, you know, just shy yeah. of that generation. So I, I don't know if it's I'm clinging to that face-to-face piece and thinking it's more valuable yeah. than it is, but that's always the thing yeah. I look at is when I hear 100%, I always wonder, I'm like, ooh, do you need at least 10 hours yeah. or 20 hours of that personal connection where I can really model and show you? So I was just curious yeah. to see, you know, that impact for so, you guys. Yeah, yeah you, raise, you raise some good points, right? I mean, and, and if you think back to my original example, I with the, with the psychologist sitting across from the, the individual and doing this test, mm-hmm. uh, a cognitive test that they're trained to implement, right, they're trained to do. Um, and you recognize, wow, okay, so these pieces that I can do of this, of this test that requires an expert, these pieces can really be done with technology. So we can use technology in, in that area. And yeah. in, in that example, um, the, the technology is replacing the clinician, right? They're right. replacing the person with expert. But you still need the, the clinician to interpret the information and and inform back to the patient what that test means and what mm-hmm. they should do as a result, if the clinician can even can do that based on that, that test. But regardless, I mean, I, I think the technology, the better way to think about it, is, and, and the term that you use, 100%, um, that can really mean a lot of different things. If it's 100% where it actually um, removes the, uh, the input or the, uh, the advice of the clinician or, the, or minim- to completely minimizes or removes the role of the clinician in that kind of treatment, then that's probably not that good, right? But if, right. The, if, the, if the technology is being used to make the clinician more efficient um, mm-hmm. and get more information or make the interaction happen um, um, well, I guess more efficiently uh, is is um, then it's it's probably used more appropriately than saying 100%. So I'm not a big fan of these this technology that that removes the role of the expert. 
Uh, yeah. I am more a fan of the technology that enhances the role of the expert and allows them to serve more people. Uh, but of course, within reason, right? I mean, right, you don't want right. to say, "Well, look, I can, as a, as a <laughs> technology, I can reach with technology, I can reach a thousand families a day." You know, well, you're not doing a very good job <laughs> if you're reaching exactly. a thousand families a day. So, yeah, I mean, this is, anything that we do really is is about supporting um, the families and with with clinical expertise, but using technology to uh, to to make that happen more efficiently. Awesome. Well, let's do this. Let's take a quick commercial break, um, and then when we come back, I want to talk specifically about NOTA because um, in addition to some of the things you've talked about, I know I have a, a few questions um, because I Great. think it's just a really cool-sounding program. So let's do the break, yeah, and that's we'll be right back. At AST, we recognize that every child is unique. We are proud to offer what we believe is the most cohesive approach to supporting your child's needs and goals at each stage. We have the elements you need to build the plan that is just right for you. One company, one team with one mission to support individuals and their families to dream and achieve their full potential. Call us today to let us know how we can best support your family at 866-727-8274. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. If you have a question or comment for our host or today's guest, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to All Autism Talk. Um, joined today by Christopher Smith from SARC. Um, you know, we were talking about a little bit about kind of the background of this new program you guys are working on, uh, NODA, um, specifically about how it came about. But um, maybe we could take a step back and you tell us exactly what NODA is. Great. Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to. So NODA stands for um, the Naturalistic Observation Diagnostic Assessment. Um, and that's why we call it NODA, because that's a, that's a mouthful. Um, and NOTA is much easier to remember, I think. Um, but basically, what we, what, the way I like to think about what NOTA is, it's, it's using technology to connect families to diagnostic experts for the purposes of getting answer, uh, answers about their child's development in a faster way than is uh, conventionally available right now. So I really think that we, uh, with the amount of people in our population, the, con uh, the continuously growing prevalence numbers from the CDC and prevalence reports and um, the amount of people that, that need answers about their child's development, especially with the, uh, all the, the research that we have that shows that early intensive behavioral intervention is probably the single most important thing that we can do for the, uh, the greatest number of people with autism, uh, we need to stop wasting time on diagnosis and remove mm -hmm. these questions faster, right? So families can yeah. get connected, right, to people who know how to interpret behavior and developmental history uh, in, a, in a more efficient way, then, um, then they can begin their intervention program sooner. 
So that's why that's why we came up with Noda. I mean, that's what we that was the purpose of it. So that's when you ask what it is, it's not this technology-based diagnosis. It's a, it's a method of connection from for families to collect relevant information and share that with uh, people that have diagnostic expertise. So I, you know, one of the things I did before the show is you know I looked up Noda. I looked up some of the things that Sark has you know posted and, and some of the links you guys have. Um, I think you're partnering mm-hmm. with Behavior Imaging Solutions again on this on this project, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Um, and yeah, so it in, a, like, in Georgia Institute of Technology. Sorry, yeah. Oh, awesome. No, I I, I missed them, so I'm glad you pointed them out. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're a key uh, player in this program. I mean, uh, you know, they're they're there to advise on the technology development and done some early testing work. And uh, yeah. they, you know, it's really the three of us working very uh, tightly together on this program. Yeah. Yeah, you need those partners because it's you know, For sure. as a clinician, you kind of see it from one point of view. So it's nice to have that tech guy say, "Yeah, but we can't yeah, do that." Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. I our, our tech guy has to tell me that all the time. So I, I, I hear you. Mm-hmm. Um, I but I was wondering, you know, from what it looked like, is is it as simple as I'm a parent? You know, I've got my smartphone with my video recorder on it. I'm taking videos and then uploading them and sending them back to someone, similar to what you were describing for the uh, parent training model. Um, it, you know, it's not quite that simple. Um, it, you know, it is a little bit more um, clinical than that, mm-hmm. in the sense that um, parents uh, create an account with Noda. They uh, they enter uh, some information about their child's developmental history. You know, they respond to our developmental history questionnaire, uh-huh. um, and they let us know about milestones and what kinds of skills the child's or exhi- children are exhibiting now, or the child is exhibiting now, um, and what kinds of delays or concerns they have, and just give us some brief information about the background. Um, and then there are there are four different video scenarios that we want them to collect over you know a couple of days uh-huh. and each um there's three video scenarios that are um or basically uh just time there there are scenarios that happen uh, naturally in most people's homes um and they provide the best opportunity we think anyway for the child to display typical social communicative and play behavior Mm-hmm. So um, we you know, but when when the parent is ready to upload videos, they they get to that point after they enter all the developmental history information, they click on on the first video scenario and they get a set of instructions about how where we want the video placed and the camera uh, the smartphone placed and what we're looking at and some things that we want them to do to uh, perhaps elicit uh, appropriate behaviors. Um, so it's not just kind of like, hey, videotape your kid playing in the backyard, and we'll be able to diagnose yeah. autism. That's that's not it at all. Um, and then once once all those videos are uploaded, <clears throat> then a clinician logs in and reviews it. And if they find that they need more information, um, they can message the family and say, hey, you know what? That was a great video at this one, but I really need you to to do this one again. The lighting wasn't great, or mm. I want to I want you to ask them a couple of more questions so I can get a better sample of X uh, when uh, in the next video. So there is a little bit of back and forth with the the clinical expert if needed. And does this require? You know, we were talking before about that face to face versus technology. Um, and um, in this case, you know, we're thinking that I guess remote, I guess remote interaction. You know, 
is this mm-hmm. a program where theoretically, you know, you're you're in Arizona, I'm in California. Can I theoretically be living in a remote part of California, upload and do the mm-hmm. entire diagnosis with you and never have to come to Sark? Yeah, I mean that's that's what we uh that's what we intend, right? Now, mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean that you will never have to be seen by another professional. I mean, that's mm-hmm. we want to be very clear about that. So, if you think about it more from from this from the the, the parent who has concerns perspective, right? So they're yeah. they're wondering, they're seeing these differences in these kids, uh the kids in the playground, the kids at school and the kids and their own child, and they're saying, wow, he's not talking, he's not doing these things, I don't feel connected, whatever it may be that's raising the parents' concerns. And, you know, the conventional method, they might bring it to their pediatrician, and the pediatrician might say, no, yeah, everything looks okay at this point, I don't see any real delays. If he come back to me in six months, if he's still delayed at that point, then maybe we'll, we'll make a referral, right? So now six months, or even even if it's three months, three months have been lost, and they go back, the parent goes back, and they get the referral. The delays are still present. Then they get the referral to the next level specialist. Um, they call that person, and there might be an eight-month waiting list. Well, now we've lost closer to a year of time before right. that child, that parent gets any answers. So at the risk of losing that face-to-face component, I think the benefit is that the parent gets answers more quickly. And you know, we're, while, while we've done a lot of testing and development and with with NOTA, there's still a lot more work to be done, and we are going to do it. And one of them is, what's parents' impressions when they get a report back? And you know, we are working with um, in the the limited commercial release that we're doing now. We are working with yeah. uh, a pediatric network. Oh, cool. So. Um, when, when the parent gets that detailed report with written comments from the clinician, mm-hmm. not just automated responses from the, the computer, they get the, a report from the clinician that reviewed the case, yeah. um, and get, they get direct feedback that pertains to the specific behaviors that, uh, that were observed in their child. They can uh-huh. review that uh, with their pediatrician um, and get that more face-to-face mm. professional component. And then they're also guided in the report. Uh, on their next steps, right? So that's kind right. of not left out in the open. Like they can, they can be guided to call SARC and work with their pediatrician or look up Autism Speaks or um, Autism Spectrum Therapies or wherever, wherever they are, uh, wherever sure. they're located, we can help them find the more uh, appropriate um, path for treatment. You know, the thing that yeah, I'm, so there's I'm lots kind of different of... things can be done. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, no worries. I mean, it, the, the thing that I actually find really exciting about this, and, you know, I spend so much time here at AST working with insurance companies, and, and that's become mm-hmm. a big part of my role. And, and I think back to, okay, well, you know, that practical side of what, what do my families go through and what are some of the things they're expected to do? And one of the things that uh, a few people are starting to require more and more is either updated psyche valves. So you've got mm-hmm. a diagnosis, but I maybe the last time you got a psyche valve was when your child was three, your child is now 10, I want to see something updated. Um, just to kind of get a sense of where they are in this greater developmental point of view. And I also see some insurance companies, um, one in particular is starting to acquire updated ADOSs every one yeah. to two years. And so I, I right. mean, immediately my mind goes to is, do, like, if I'm a parent, do I have to put my child on a six-month wait list like, or, or basically say, 
I just got my authorization for the next year's worth of services or six months. I need to put my kid on a wait list today to be able to under, like, to get everything I yeah. need to keep services going that I know is working. I have data the show is working. I, you know, I'm involved in it so I can feel it working. Um, and what an impact this could make where you could get quicker, easier access to not just the information to you know from a professional, but also to the information that this funding is now requiring, so you can just maintain yeah. what it is you have and and what's working. Right. Yeah. So yeah, those yeah, that, that's exactly why we want to begin to use technology uh, to meet the, those particular needs of families. And but I want to yeah. be really clear to state, you know, NOTA is really for that that very first diagnosis, right, to get Got answers it. about concerns, right? It's not, it's not an ADOS, and we're not trying to compete with the ADOS or replace sure. the ADOS in any way, shape, or form. Um, we don't have any comparison score, uh, which is probably, the new ADOS has that, which is probably yeah. why the insurance companies are requiring that, because they want to see that there's a change in comparison right. scores over time, right. even though we don't really know that that's going to be a good outcome measure for that yet. But, you know, all this stuff is, there's such Minor a learning curve. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's like a learning curve and all of this yeah. stuff. Yeah, and and you know, insurance companies are learning as we're going, and 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 yeah. uh, you, you got to start somewhere. Um, and notice is that's really I don't I want to be very careful not to overstate anything. Like that's sure. we we're, we're about getting parents answers for that first time, and in the recommendations after NOTA, I mean they're still you prompted to go see. Uh, developmental pediatrician uh, mm. for a full medical evaluation and very careful to uh, let's say that it's not replacing a full psychiatric evaluation right. or psycho psychological evaluation. I mean, there's other things that are needed for treatment purposes. This is about getting right. parents' right. answers faster. Yeah, Got it. But it sounds like it's yeah, really Yeah, but who like knows a, where it'll go? That's exactly what I was going to say. It feels like it's setting the yeah. foundation, though, for something. I mean, like you said, the... The answer side of it alone, I mean, I can't – I'm sure you're, you get the same thing. It, it seems like every every friend of mine, the moment their kid is a year and a half, um, I start to get questions of, hey, how do you think his language is doing? Or how do you think his socialization is doing? it? And I, I mean, I said the mm -hmm. same thing. I'm like, you realize I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not any of these things. They're like, but but you're in the field. We just we just like mm -hmm. to know that you like things seem okay. And like I feel like that idea of answers, um, mm -hmm. you know, these are kids who are great, healthy, developmentally. You know, they've been evaluated. They look awesome. You know, it's everything you would you would look for in terms of appropriate developmental growth. Um, and those parents just want that assurance or those answers. So I, I right. Just, I get what you're saying here about just something doesn't feel right. I, I don't necessarily right. want to go through this whole big thing. I may not be able to get those answers fast enough. I may be intimidated by some of these things. This feels almost like a less intimidating, more efficient way to at least get the process right. rolling. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, and we struggle a lot with that uh, that face-to-face -face component, like how is how are the parents going to take it when they're delivering the news? Mm. You know, and, and it's not the, it's not, I don't know that it's the same thing, right, it, that the par these parents are in the same mindset, the ones that would go ahead and do this kind of um, service, right? These mm -hmm. The parents that are going to do this kind of service or, or be receptive to it or ones that, that 
believe that they're seeing, they have concerns about their child's yeah. development and they want answers. It's not the same thing as going to the doctor and having them, having the doctor, you know, find a, a big mole on your back and say, wow, you have skin cancer and it's a big shocking thing. <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, not that, I'm yeah. not minimizing the getting that news, but these parents are, are some, sometimes, many of them anyway, are prepared and they are hungry for some important feedback. Uh, then that's what they're really looking for. So yeah, I think it's probably it's probably better uh, that it's delivered face to face. But I think that the benefit of getting it faster and more um, more efficiently is uh, kind of trumps that face to face in this situation. Now, I mean, that's great research that we'd love to do in the future, right? When sure. we're and we're continuing to do more and more research on on NOTA. Uh, we want to mm-hmm. know, for one thing, like if we're doing a controlled trial um, mm-hmm. of people calling a center for, for diagnostic evaluations, um, we know that NOTA is more efficient, right? And we think that it is. That's why we tested it. Uh, but we mm-hmm. don't know how much time it can actually shave off of, uh, of a, mm-hmm. a diagnostic center's wait list or a parent's time spent on wait lists. So that's yeah. one study where, you know, one family gets assigned to NOTA, another family gets assigned to the more conventional methods. Um, right. And who gets the diagnosis faster, and then who begins treatment faster is one study that we'd like to do. And also, too, just awesome. to compare, uh, you know, what's 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 the more efficient way to deliver the news? How do parents feel about that? If they get a report that they need to review with their pediatrician, or do mm-hmm. they require a, maybe a 20-minute Skype session with the clinician, or are they okay? Uh, or do they really need the the clinician to sit there and give the give them the news piecemeal? I don't know. And I think there's probably a lot of variability in that and how parents are going to respond to that in the future. I wonder how much of that variability of uh, that delivery of the news is going to change just as society changes. It, it just feels like our society mm-hmm. has become so much more comfortable with, yeah. you know, Skype and, I, I mean, God, FaceTime. It feels like yeah. every kid I know is FaceTiming with their grandparents somewhere. And it's yep. just yep. like it's it's whole different thing. So I, I just wonder how much of you know if you did that study today versus four years from now, would your outcomes be actually a little different just based upon like our society's um, yeah. comfort with some of this? Yeah, for sure. I mean that's a that's a great question. I mean you know technology is certainly. Um, uh, desensitize that need for face-to-face. Yeah. And it's funny, uh, as I was thinking this right before when I, I brought up the skin cancer um, uh-huh. example, you know, I mean, there there are services now where you can download an app and take a picture of your, of your mole and um, have it reviewed by a dermatologist, wow. and they'll ping you and say, yeah, you know what, you need to go get that biopsied. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, people are people are people are more accepting of that kind of information. And, and you think about it, the same. It started long ago, right, with pregnancy tests um, mm-hmm. and home pregnancy tests. I mean, before sure. you know, back in the '60s, women would have to go to the doctor, and they'd, you know, they do the rabbit test, and the, the doctor would be the one to say, "Yeah, good, yeah, pregnant, and good news." Now, you know, that started with them going to uh, buying a home pregnancy test. And now there's all sorts of information that people can get about their health through mm-hmm. technology and these devices that they can buy and these testing kits that they can get at the drugstore. Um, so I think more and more people are, are heading in that direction, that they can, they can handle news about their health um, through, through technology or through these quicker methods. 
You know, I, I really like the home pregnancy test um, as an example of this because I think it really is, is perfect for what you're saying. Um, you take a, you know, you take a home pregnancy test and the first calls to the doctor, up, oh, I'm pregnant, mm-hmm. got to call my doctor. Yep. The doctor tells you to yep. come in pretty quickly and they've got their own additional tests they want to do to make sure that, you know, things are moving in a certain direction. Um, Right. It, it's exactly like what you said. Up, you. Right. It's almost like okay, you did nota. There's something here you should be concerned about. You need to get yourself into that doctor. But now I'm giving this doctor this information. The doctor knows exactly where to start. Versus, oh, I don't know if I, you know, what the results of my pregnancy yeah. tests were. Doctor, you got to start from the beginning. Have we just expedited and we got right to this is the test I need to do right now? Just like in the, exactly. the pregnancy example. Right. No. Yeah, that's, that's cool. a, yeah, that's a that's a great a great analogy. Exactly right. I mean, let's just get right to let's make sure you're healthy. Let's make sure of this. Let's make sure of that. And yeah. and uh, but more importantly, the family um, has the answer, of, mm-hmm. and they know what's going to happen right away. Right. I mean, of course, they want to go and they want to find out if they're healthy or if they're if they're uh, developing fetus is healthy or there's no problems. They want to know that. Right. Um, but they go, they get that information through the conventional means, but they know that they're pregnant. They find that out right away and on their own, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, I commend you. This is awesome work. I think this is really cool just to, you know, I, I, I want to jump to that like five years from now. Like, so what did you figure out and, and what, how are you able to expand this? Because, you know, clearly I've got this. You know, I, I just keep thinking about the, you know, like we started about in the beginning of the conversation. You know, I live in, you know, central California where there's remote resources. And then I think about the families living in the, you know, in some of the desert areas of Arizona and then some of the, you know, remote areas in the in the middle of the country. I mean, I, I think of family mm-hmm. I haven't, I had in Montana. It was It was a 20-minute drive just to go to a movie. To see a developmental yeah, right. pediatrician is is hours, so I, yep, I think where sure. this can go is just so exciting. Yeah, me too. I think it, it is really really exciting. And you know what's uh, what's interesting is we get really good feedback on this whole uh, project to anybody that we talk to. Um, cool. But uh, the uh, the international uh, attraction is mm-hmm. really astounding. I mean, since people hearing about this, we 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 have uh, potential. Collaborations in um, in Japan, in Singapore, in South America, in France, and yeah. you know, people like we want to do this, right? We want to know about it. So obviously, I'm, I I really do believe that this is answering um, a need from many different levels of professionals in the field. That that is yeah. I didn't even think about that side of it. That's amazing. Right. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, it opens up from from my perspective as a researcher. It opens up a whole bunch of new questions that need to be answered. I mean, we don't think it's very language dependent, but it really would be nice to tell. With uh, mm. if, you know, our clinicians here could review cases uploaded in Japan. I mean, could wow. we do that? Could we figure it out? Or um, does it need to be translated? And if it does need to be translated, you know, what kind of training do we need for the diagnosticians that are reviewing NOTA cases? Yeah, I mean, mm. this could be something really very big going forward. And almost, I wonder, is there also an opportunity for the standardization of certain things? Because I, I keep hearing that, um, you know, different countries, the way diagnostics work there compared to what yeah. we're used to is, is not the same. Um, they may overdiagnose, they may underdiagnose, yep. they just may not, there's just not the sophistication. 
that we may have here in America? And is there almost a way to increase just, okay, great, we can't, uh, maybe it's not the exposure side, but it's almost a training element side to this of, you know, increasing people's um, accuracy and sophistication of diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, so we, one of the, place, the things that we ask people is what, what's the system that we, uh, that they mm-hmm. use to diagnose it? Do they recognize the DSM or is it ICD? And right now Got it's it. based on DSM, but it could be easily adapted to ICD. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I didn't talk much about what the clinician does. And the clinician uh-huh. doesn't just kind of sit back and watch the videos and then render a diagnosis. The clinician logs in, right? They review the developmental history. They watch the, the videos. And whenever they see a behavior that is indicative of a developmental delay, they pause the video. And instead of just entering a comment, they, we have a list of preset behavioral descriptors, which we call tags, right? That, uh, mm-hmm. that describe or best categorize that particular behavior. So every time the clinician sees a behavior like that, they pause it, and they enter that tag, and they start the video again, they pause it again, they enter another tag, and they go through the whole, the whole thing, uh, all four videos that way. And then, but this, what the system does is it organizes all of that information all from the tags according to uh, DSM-5 criteria. So the system has any, every behavioral tag that's in there is mapped to a specific DSM criteria. So then the mm. clinician goes into DSM-5 review, and they see each of the DSM-5 criteria in there with all of the specific behavioral examples that supported um, that particular criteria. But ultimately, and this is a really important point, so I'm really glad that you mentioned this, the, the system is not making any type of clinical determination. It's, mm. the, it's the diagnostician that's watching this and, and doing the work and deciding that, yes, I have enough evidence to say that this DSM criterion is met. And they go ahead and they put out a, a check mark in that one. So ultimately, the, 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 the clinician or diagnostician, I think I go back and forth quite a bit, uh, but the, 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 the diagnostic expert, let's put it that way, yeah. is, uh, is making the diagnosis based on developmental history, specific behavioral examples, and clinical uh-huh. judgment, which are the same three components that are used to determine what's happening, what happened in an in-person assessment. So, we're, like I say, we're just using this technology to bring the information to the clinician in a more efficient way and help it to be organized in a way. Like whatever technology is doing, whatever it can do, but it yeah. is not attempting to replace the, the clinical expertise. Very so, cool. So, yeah. So, so, yeah, we can apply that same pattern, I think, to all different, uh, all different cultures and nationalities and, and languages. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it opens up the door for a whole lot of other work to do in the future. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm looking at my clock here, and I've been talking to you for way too long because we're pretty much out of time. Um, All right. I, I, I appreciate you coming on board and, and talking to us and, and filling us in on everything. Um, if we've got listeners out there who are saying, like, God, I want to learn more about NOTA, I want to find out how to, to be participating or, or find out more about what's going on, how, uh, where can they go to learn more about this, uh, this cool project? Well, they can go to um, www.behavioramaging.com and click on the link for NOTA. Um, And they can certainly go to our website, which is www.autismcenter.org, and they'll find links to NOTA on our website as well. 
Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was great talking to you. I just, like I said, I think this is really cool and fascinating what you guys are working on. So I'm excited great. to kind of hear the outcomes and where this all goes. Excellent. Thanks so much. Well, thanks everybody for being here today. Um, I, you know, I'm really excited to see where this can all go. You know, thinking about technology and access, and, and, and like I said to Christopher, you know, there, there's a there's a big kind of funding side to this that I'm really excited about because, you know, being in the trenches of services and delivery and, and seeing what parents are, are literally going through in terms of how do I keep my funding going? What is it that the insurance company is requiring of me? How do I get that to them when my local hospital has an eight-month waiting list for that type of eval? Or how do I find someone even, period, to do this type of eval? It's really exciting for me to think about where this can all go, how we can, how we can maybe bring doctors, physicians, therapists together um, you know, and knowing what they're putting together thus far with this NOTA project and just, you know, I, I think a fact that we, we kind of skipped over Christopher and I pretty quickly is actually how reliable all of their initial data is and how reliable all of the things in terms of different doctors seeing the same thing from videos. It, it's exciting to see where this can all go. So I think we have a lot of great opportunities in front of us, it's just how quickly can we get there? I feel like that's uh, the biggest thing because I know we all want them now. Um, well, I hope you guys have uh, have yourselves a great week. Um, you know, the year is, this new year feels like it's already flying by. I, I feel like New Year's was yesterday, and I look here and it's mid February, which just it's kind of mind boggling. Um, but we're going to be back in a week with uh, with another show. Um, trying to bring some new resources, some new voices um, to the program um, so we can hear a few different perspectives as well as bring back a, a few familiar guests hopefully in the next couple of months to, to see what they're up to and what they've been doing. As always, if you have any questions, uh, feel free to reach out to us, autismtherapies.com, or sorry, more info at autismtherapies.com. Our website's got tons of uh, great resources and info on it as well. Or you can reach out to us on Facebook. Um, Christina and I are always checking to see what you guys are posting, what you guys have to say, um, and uh, always trying to steer this show as much as possible to your guys' input and feedback. So hope you guys have a great week, great weekend, and take care. Talk to you next time. We hope you have enjoyed today's episode. For additional information and resources about autism, visit www.autismtherapies.com. Please join us each week for a new episode or visit our archive to listen to and download previous shows.